Okay. Um. Lately, I've been feeling <clears throat> this pressure. This pressure comes from uncertainty. I am wondering if I should be nervous about the well-being of my people. The fact that the matter is, well, of course I should, that's the point, but also at the same time, how much really is that benefiting? It seems that as time goes by, what I'm realizing is that what is meant to be done, what is meant to happen will happen regardless of if I am super stressed, overwhelmed, or overworked or not. It's going to happen regardless. It's all according to God's plan. I mean, yes, of course, a lot of the different issues I want to tackle or be involved in, I'm maybe not, you know, I'm not involved in them, clearly. But um, that's okay. It's okay to rest. It's okay to take time for you. It's okay to be able to breathe. It's okay to... It's okay to let go for a minute. I feel like maybe not majority of the time, because of course I fight that, but it's getting to a place where it feels like I'm being abused to help other people with their wicked desires, wicked pleasures and wants in life, while the work that I really truly want to be doing, like demon hunting and you know, helping people to see these spirits that are operating in and through them so that they can recognize what truly is them and find their identity in Christ. I can't get that done as much. It feels like I'm not getting that done as much. I mean, I'm going to fight to make sure that it evens itself out, but at the same time, I'm tired of, you know, I'm tired of Anything that the Lord has provided for me and my work being used for wickedness. I don't understand how anybody could do that, honestly. I don't understand how you could take something that something so beautiful that and complete that God has given you and use it for brokenness and to, you know, create and enhance and encourage brokenness in others. Like when it's supposed to be used to make more people more complete. You're, you're using it to make people more broken. You could take something so beautiful and great by God and do that. And it's just so, so tainted. That's so tainted to me. Like, it's sick and it's saddening. And my heart breaks at the thought of it. But the Lord just led me to this scripture, Ecclesiasticus, chapter 11, verse 5. As well as you do not know how the spirit enters the bones in the womb of a woman, you do not know the ways of the Lord. I have been, I have been, this this very thought, this very idea has been on my heart ever since I was a kid. Like, how babies are formed in the womb of a of a woman and how they are life forms but you know they breathe in the water you know but when they 
are birthed and they get to smack on the butt, they can breathe in air. But ever, every, every point after that, you are not able to breathe underwater anymore. It's not something you could turn on or turn off. And it is, you know, it's vital that seconds after they are pulled from the womb of a woman that they are, you know, smacked on the butt so that they are able to breathe. And then with animals, when they have, when they have, when they give birth, oftentimes these, I've seen dogs, you know, dogs, cats, other type animals, they have to lick a film off of their, their baby's nose and mouth so that they can breathe. A human, it takes a pat on the butt. So I wondered about this, like how the Lord has made it so intricately, you know, precise. We're made perfect in the image of God. And at the end of the day, each and every single last thing we would ever need on this earth, we have already, it's already built into us when he breathed life into dirt. The blood running through our veins, the heart that pumps this blood, the brain that thinks, the lungs that breathe the air. All of it all of it the Lord he has done he's done that he's done that he's doing that every single day mysterious are the ways of the Lord and if you're wondering what is it that God can do that I cannot do how is it that you know people believe God's ways are not our ways he's so mysterious and that we cannot know the ways of him I know the ways of the Lord I know Anything it is that I could possibly know that, you know, I could find it out. I could, it's here. This information is here. It's on this earth. I could have it. And it's like, no, no. It gets to this point where you, you reach a block. You reach a block with, with the information. I don't want to speak for everybody. Because it's like, do I know everything to speak for somebody else's brain in a block that they hit or reach? No. But this is the Lord speaking through me. I know it. This is his presence in my life. This is something that has remained. This is scripture. Even before I actually was able to retain information from the Bible, this is scripture. The thoughts that I think, the behavior, is scripture. Deep inside of myself, I'm already perfect spiritually. I don't have a doubt in the world about my Father in heaven. I'm fully faithful in him. I trust him wholeheartedly. So why am I tortured? Why am I tortured? You know, with addictions, habitual sin, and, you know, fighting to tear away from environments that do not encourage or enhance the spirit of the Lord in my life, the Holy Spirit in my life that does not strengthen it. Why am I tortured to fast and pray? Why am I tortured to do these things? I'm already spiritually perfect. How does that happen? How is that working? Maybe it has something to do with this, you know, spirit that has been sort of attached or plagued plaguing my life maybe even since I was a child 
you know, that has to, that has to die, you know. The Lord, I was listening to the Bible again today, and it was about Rabshakeh, and the Lord has been like, repeatedly 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 bringing this scripture up i know that between isaiah 35 ish to 40 ish to even like 50 ish it's about the curses and the plagues on israel for not keeping our promise to the lord and the lord has been reminding me that this is an opportunity for a reborn covenant he's giving us another chance He's, you know, raising me up to be a leader, to guide our people into a new covenant with God, you know, and it will happen. It just will. There's just nothing nobody can do to stop that. It's happening right now. It is. But, you know, there's more that needs to happen before the finish of it. There's more that will happen. And irregardless of what these individuals around me may believe that they have the power to do or anything that they believe that they are actually in control of or with an involvement in, they are deceived. They're deceived. They're deceived. They're like puppets. And it's, it's not to say that these things aren't necessarily happening. But whatever is really happening, they're just under a big deception. So with the Lord, speaking about Rebshekah, excuse me, the Bible in Isaiah 36 about Rebshekah. And he says, do you expect these people, or excuse me, do you? Do you expect to go down with these people, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, and I've heard it so many times, so that they can eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? And I've talked about how in the spirit we are eating poo. We're eating poo. All the food is rotten, is rotted. And, you know, as hard as I had worked in order to gain, you know, to to gain freedom of from this sin from this sin and this enslavement of sin as hard as I had worked I got to a point where all Satan would offer me was a brownie he'd offer me a brownie like here I'll give you a brownie for the hard work that you've done you know as if I hadn't felt as if I was literally dying you know, in order to gain freedom for me and and my family members. So I rejected it. And he he was very deceptive. And it felt as if like this is, you know, more honest than it is a lie, but he is nothing but a liar. He'll make it seem as if your destiny is worth a brownie. When, of course, you know, the plans that the Lord has in your life is to deliver a million people from enslavement. That's worth a brownie, saying. 
That's how much of a liar he is. Because then you'll start to believe that's what you're worth. All that hard work that you're dying for, the God doesn't can't love you for you to be worth just a brownie. Look what he tried to convince Jesus. He tried to convince Jesus that his life was worth nothing more than 30 shekels. Jesus was a revolutionary. Ever since he saved billions, he died on a cross for the forgiveness of billions of people. Maybe not save them, but he definitely died on the cross for billions of people to be saved. And Satan tried to convince Jesus that that was worth 30 shekels that Judas sold him over for. So never believe Satan. He's such a liar. He is such a liar. He has nothing. He has nothing. He has a fate and a destiny of winding up in a bottomless pit to burn and fall forever. That's what Satan has. Meanwhile, you have an opportunity, a chance. You actually have a future. So yes, maybe we are in the wilderness and maybe we are eating our own poo. Maybe we are drinking our own pee. Spiritually, that's what you're doing, even if you feel as if you are eating feasts every day. You are spiritually starving, most likely. Because of your sin. The sin that we live in every day. And I know, not that I'm better than anybody. But if the Lord can call me to be who he's called me to be. And I'm called to be one of the most obedient people in the world. To him and his word, you know. Then, and and the devil and we and I would be eating poo, and drinking pee spiritually, because of my lack. What does that say for you? I'm not saying I'm better. I mean, at the end of the day, in reality, I'd be eating poo and drinking pee with you because you're my people, and only by then would I understand the necessary. The necessary severity it takes, how urgent, the urgency on what it takes in order to get this done and treat this like it's serious. You got to get down with your people. If your people are eating each other alive, you get down there and you get ate alive. Because only by then will you start to work with a sense of urgency to fix and help your people. Only by then will you understand what it's like and what they're going through and why it's so important that this happens now. People think that they can sit in a place, never having experienced how bad it truly is, not being the worst, not understand what the worst is going through, and really be able to provide or help the worst. You're not even thinking about the worst. You don't even know what that's like. That's sort of like when we get upset with white people for white privilege. We say, white people say, there's no racism out here. Nobody's racist. You don't face adversities. That's all in your mind. But then they see, you know, something like what we may have seen every day in our neighborhood, a black man shot for nothing, doing nothing on his way to a desk job or even college. And he didn't deserve it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe these things are happening nowadays. And it's like you couldn't possibly have understood the severity of what was happening and that's, or what was going on because you never see it. You're not there. You have to put yourself in a position of the people who are suffering through these things in order to truly understand what that is like. And I understand that. 
And sometimes I also, I mean, and at this point, I understand that there, it comes a point where you can't even do that all the time. Not always. But what you can do is take into consideration that, of course, you will never have understood what these people are talking about, what they maybe possibly have suffered through, regardless of how much you want to believe you can or how much you want to believe that you do. That also being said, you cannot always be fooled by the struggle because there are people who have struggled and they want to inflict that struggle on others. And then there's people who have struggled and they never want to see other people struggle ever again. You have to be careful that you're listening to the right side of that because 98% of these people are not going to be willing to go as hard about never seeing someone else struggle the way that they have struggled like you know, maybe 2% are. And I don't want to even put numbers on it because the fact of the matter is that's not maybe necessarily true. That's what Satan wants you to believe that majority of people don't want to help others. Deep inside of us, we would love to help others. That's who we're born to be, helping each other, providing for each other, surviving together. But at the end of the day, what you also understand is that a lot of people right now I believe because of these curses, because of sin, enslavement to it, control that Satan has over us, we would rather see others struggle instead of actually helping them up. And so something happens today, you know? Sort of like a partial exposure of different individuals who, you know, who who are around me witnessing what it is I'm fighting so hard to do. And they pretend as if they actually are in support of these things. When in reality, it is, I feel like, has been exposed that they, when faced with multiple opportunities to make a difference, oftentimes are rejecting them due to selfishness, jealousy, envy, selfishness, hard-heartedness. A lot of people are not just... They don't understand a lot of my favor comes from my heart. I'm favored because of the heart that I have. That's something I feel that the Lord has introduced to me on multiple occasions. I'm favored because of the heart that I have for people. Though there are a lot of things that I can learn and understand, I'm favored because of the heart that I have for people. And then people want to steal my position or want to keep me out of it. Or feel that they can do a better job in it. And then when it comes to certain issues that, of course, the Lord has chosen me for, they cannot fulfill that because they don't have the heart for it. They're not even considering these things. That's something that was also brought into perspective, if not like a week or a couple of days ago. Somebody tried to do my work and do something for me. I went over it and I realized, like, why would you ever allow this to happen? The conversation was, it was someone who was abused. They were abusing people. Someone thought that it would be okay punishment for that abuse to abuse them. You never abuse someone for being abused. That never works. It never gets through. You never, you just never, what are you, what are you showing them? Exactly what they just did. They don't, they don't respond to that. If you abuse someone for being abused or being abusive, you're just showing them that exactly what they did wasn't wrong. It was just wrong that they did it as compared to you. It was okay for you to do it, but it wasn't okay for them to do it. And how are they supposed to discern who it's okay to do that? Who 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 it's okay for them 
to uh, to see that do see do that excuse me meaning moving forward when it's not just you how do i discern whether it's okay for someone to abuse someone for being abusive or being abused how am i supposed to discern that now because what made you better than me that you are allowed to do and i'm not lead by example at the end of the day you know it's not going to teach them to do anything but hide the abuse because really all you did was show them that I'm bigger than you, I'm more powerful than you, or I'm in a position to exert power over you so now I can abuse you. It doesn't work like that, you know? And you're not raising up good leaders in that way. We all have the potential to be a leader. I want, if I could have it, I would want an entire kingdom of leaders because they all think for themselves. They're innovative and they are embracing their differences instead of shunning them. That being said, that being said, you know, I, I noticed it and I thought that it was extremely sad. I, I wanted to cry because it's also a cycle that we're stuck in due to the curses on us. And we have yet to win favor enough from the Lord from the break or cut that curse off of us. So what do we do? I don't know, but something that is also being brought into perspective. As the Lord said, we are the same people we've always been. Moses lived a couple hundred years. And he died having still been, you know, leader of the same kind of people. The people who would make a promise to God and then break it. And then make a promise to God and then break it. And crucify every prophet he had sent. That's the kind of people that we are because we don't want to follow the rules. We don't want to do it. If God sends somebody to tell you, look, listen, this is a way to do it. We need to listen to God. We need to allow him to lead us. We're just the blind leading the blind. Everybody's going to turn against the person that said it. They're not going to turn away from sin. That's who we are. That's how we've been. It's not who we are, but it's who we're being. So I'm facing it right now. So many people around me are like, I come around and I'm just saying what the Lord said to say. And so many people around are just like, well, we don't want to do that. So how about we just get rid of you? If we just get rid of you, since the Lord sent you, we can just go back to doing whatever we want again. And you can go right back to the same chains. You can go right back to the same enslavement. You can go right back to the same consequences of your sin. Yet you're still crying out to God, expecting him to fix this. You know, you're crying out to God and blaming him for all of the bad in the world. And it's you. You don't ever want to follow the rules. You don't ever want to do what it is he asks you to do. And when he sends you the help that you ask for, you still don't listen or take heed. You continue on in the same behavior. We're the same people we've always been. This is why we haven't seen a difference in over 2,000 years. But we're blaming Jesus for not coming back yet. It's our fault. If Jesus haven't come back in 2,000 years, that's because we're not ready. We're still the same sinful people. We haven't been ready in 2,000 years. But we're blaming God. Talking about he's slow. He's never coming. You're never going to change. That's what it's coming down to. So, I've contemplated this lately. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm going to keep fighting. I still have fight left in me. 
And the prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. And I know it sounds like I'm giving up. You can kind of hear it in my voice, like just the tired, the exhaustion, you know. Uh, this has been stuck on my heart ever since I seen it months ago. Moses, he said to the people right before he died, he said, listen, this is what you have to do. You have to you have to follow the commandments. You have to. There's going to come a time I'm not here anymore. And you have to follow the commandments. But hey, as much as he stressed it, he stressed it over and over and over again. You have to follow the commandments. And then finally he said, but hey, I'm going to die soon. And guess what? I know you're not going to follow the commandments. So here's what's going to happen. And he had to give them instructions in the direction of them breaking the commandments and falling back into this cycle of being disobedient and hard-necked. Even after all of his warnings of what would happen if they didn't follow the commandments and they kept saying, oh, it's okay, we will, we will, it's okay, we will, we'll be all right. And still yet he had to give them instructions in that direction. Of course, they heard those instructions because they never, I don't think that we ever really intended to actually follow those commandments ever. We never do. So it's important to hear the instructions when the Lord says, but if you don't. So Moses said, if you don't, the Lord's going to send another prophet later. You're going to crucify him. You're going to turn against him. You're going to shun him. But the point is, God is not going to give up on you. The point is, God is not going to give up on you. And I know that it's more to it that I wanted to say. And of course, the devil is attacking me because this one is really good. But at the end of the day, the point is the Lord kept reminding me of that. You know, after all of Moses' hard work, and I know that I'm thinking possibly from an angle of quitting. And I'm not a quitter. But after all Moses' hard work, they still turn back to the same people that they were after he died. As if his life was in vain. And it wasn't. So. I don't know. I think my heart has been naturally gravitating to. Whether Moses my heart has been naturally gravitating to um whether Moses could have said when the Lord said, "I will just kill all of them, and I'll just make a nation of your descendants, whether Moses could have just been like. Yeah, I think that's the best plan of action. You should just kill them. Instead of saying, no, Lord, please give them another chance. Please understand. Please don't kill your people. He interceded for us so that the Lord didn't have to kill all of us. But the fact of the matter is, even if, and I can't speak on this specifically, but most likely, even if, the Lord had made a, di- a nation of Moses' descendants, we would be the same kind of people. Because look at Abraham's descendants. 
for years they believe we are the descendants of Abraham. We are surely going to heaven. But you cannot live off of Abraham's favor without being obedient to the word and the law of God. Like even now, if the Lord promised favor on my descendants, if my descendants decided to go worship false gods and get into another covenant with Satan, that would affect that. They wouldn't be so covered that they they wouldn't see consequences to that behavior. You have to carry that. You have to actually follow these laws. You have to actually keep these promises. You can't just say, oh, my parents, parents, parents did, so I'm good. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. So, when the Lord tells me it's going to be very difficult, harder, harder than it's ever been, really hard and then good forever, the only thing I can think of is a rapture. But it's okay because I don't have to guess because he said it. The rapture is going to happen in your lifetime. So, of course, there's a lot of conversation about, um, he just says that to scare you. He just says that to get you to act right and behave. And at the end of the day, it's a whole conversation like, you know, Maybe he does just say it to scare you. It's not maybe he does just say it to scare you. He doesn't. But let's entertain the idea that he did say it to just scare you. Is he still right? He's still right because you need it. You need it to be said to you like that in order to be scared into doing the right thing. Why can't you just do it? Why do you have to feel like Jesus is coming back tomorrow in order for you to behave like that? So then you should feel like Jesus is coming back tomorrow so that he can protect his children that are crying out for a better world. If he has to tell you Jesus is coming back in an hour in order for you to behave the way, behave like Jesus is coming back in an hour, then so be it. He's not a liar. That doesn't make him a liar. He never told you the day or the hour, but he did tell you soon. And so you behaved. Now, you wouldn't have a problem with that if that were uh, something else that you wanted, something else that you felt like was worth behaving for. You wouldn't have a problem with that if it was because of your pleasures or your sin. You're going to get this. You're going to get a million dollars if you're able to manage to make it this long. You would never complain about how long you had to do it for. Because it's for a million dollars, right? God is worth so much more. So I would never feel bad for somebody saying, Jesus is just saying that, you know, to get me to behave. And I waste all this time being good and he didn't even come back. If you feel like that's a waste of time, then you wasn't going to make it anyways in the rapture. That's a fact. So um, I also don't want to be the kind of person that's speaking negatively and saying, who would make it and who wouldn't. But all I know is that you're not supposed to be counting down the minutes and the seconds. That's something that I'm working on. You're supposed to be counting down and checking off the list of your sin that you're getting rid of. And you're supposed to be in this for the long haul anyways. Even if it never happens in your lifetime, you're supposed to want to be good just because 
that's who the Lord has transformed you into being. And if you are spending that much time in the presence of the Lord and you are not wanting to truly be better and it has nothing to do with these demonic attacks on you, which of course it will. You know, are you sure you're in the presence of the Lord? Because in his presence alone, you are transformed. That's a fact. But um, that being said, though, I don't know, you know, way too many people mocking God, you know, laughing about the things that I preach about God right in my face and, you know, daring me to do something about it and it's like what's the point of doing something to you about it if you felt like it was okay to say that and my god and treat him in that manner it wouldn't matter what i did now would it you're just trying to prove that you know you're getting some sort of reaction out of me with your behavior and the way you feel about him and maybe you are i feel bad for you but at the end of the day it's just like Satan uses people and they don't understand it. They don't even understand how he's using them. They don't understand that I, 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 I'm beginning to recognize him in people. Of course, I need the Lord to identify him. He's a very good liar. But I'm beginning to identify him in people. Immediately, I'll say, that Satan. Don't entertain that conversation. Do everything you can. And yes, of course, he'll have access to you through your sins. So that means me too. I'm not better than you. But I'm just saying, like, this is why I'm in this place where I am pretty much, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty much not even having normal or natural connections anymore because I, I'm identifying them as not real conversations. When Satan is using everybody around you in order to get to you or keep you or prevent you or delay you in your destiny and all that God has sent you to do, then you're not having real connections or conversations with people. It's just more fighting. That's it. Fighting. So that's where I'm at. 